We are back, and you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon, joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. Thank you, Wilmer. Kathy Kelly has a piece in Common Dreams entitled, The People of Yemen Suffer Atrocities Too. The ghastly blockade and bombardment of Yemen led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE is now entering its eighth year. For insight into this, we turn to our next guest. He's the host of the podcast, The Left is Dead, James Carey. As always, James, welcome back. Always good to be here. Uh, So Kathy writes, the United Nations goal was to raise more than $4.2 billion for the people of war-torn Yemen by March 15th. But when that deadline rolled around, just $1.3 billion had come in. Quote, I'm deeply disappointed, end quote, said Jan Eglin, the secretary general of the Norwegian Refugee Council. Quote, the people of Yemen need the same level of support and solidarity that we've seen for the people of Ukraine. The crisis in Europe will dramatically impact Yemenis' access to food and fuel, making an already dire situation even worse, end quote. Your thoughts, James Carey. Well, I mean, everything's turning eight, isn't it? It's been eight years since we started messing with everywhere on the globe, apparently. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, I, I was really upset by these, man. I, this is ridiculous because... This has been going on so long. Every time the Yemenis, you know, they get into these ideas like peace talks and anything like that, and their airport gets bombed, so they can't even get aid when they are on good terms with the Saudis. And this has all been aided by American bombs, and here we are. You know, we're sad about – we're supposed to be sad about Russian bombs in Ukraine. And I am I really am – I'm not shocked that the U.S. didn't pay for it. Look at, you know, how they tried to cheap out on Syria, and every ally of ours tried to cheap out on Syria. I'm not shocked that no money came in, but I, I'm a little – I don't know. I can't really express this in words, but the way people feel about Ukraine, seeing this, you know, the last time they cared as much about Yemen was what, when Jim Carrey drew that picture. So, I, I'm, you know, clearly there's a double standard here. People don't want to see Europe messed up for some reason. I wonder why. Here's the other thing, James. There's a comparison between the two, and here, here it is. The U.S. claims that they're on the side of the people in Ukraine and human rights and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, when you dig into it, they're doing everything they can to discourage the Ukrainian leadership. And I use that word guardedly um, from coming to some kind of an agreement, which is simple. We we all know what the Russians asked for. This is not rocket, rocket science. So they're prolonging something as they pretend to be looking out for the best interest of the people. Joe Biden came in and said implied that he was going to end the Yemen conflict or he was going to at least de-escalate with Saudi Arabia and not send them, quote, offensive weapons, et cetera. But in reality, he's prolonging it. So there's there's this thing that where they say we want to end conflict. But in reality, whatever conflict it is, the Biden administration and ultimately the U.S. empire seems to always try to extend these brutal conflicts. I think we don't want to, we don't want them to end until we get our way. Right. Or our allies get their way in the case of Saudi Arabia. I think that They'd be okay with Yemen winding down because they're not – the U.S. isn't getting much out of it. That was a real trade-off for the Iran deal. But as far as Ukraine goes, I think they'll stack up bodies there as long as they feel like they have to to prove a point to Russia. You know, these partners – we talked about this a couple days ago. These partners are just – the U.S. hypes them up and then lets them do these things, essentially forces them to do these things. I mean Zelensky wasn't super anti-Russian when he came in. And uh, the U.S., you know, gasses these people up and lets them do these things, and they are willing to shed any blood – that they have to, obviously, to make a point, with, especially with Russia, and or to try and appease the Saudis, as they did in Yemen. And I think that they relate. And I, you see now, even with the stories we have here, the wheat 
from Eastern Europe is no longer going to Africa and Yemen where they actually consumed it because we don't consume any, you know, that many Russian or Ukrainian products here. That's not our problem. And you're seeing the whole world now suffer from the U.S.'s decisions in one country, essentially. And then all these countries we've already been destroying are now suffering even more. You just mentioned the Saudis invading Yemen and the United States greenlit it. If you could just go back, that's an incredibly important point. We're now eight years out. A lot of people may not remember that this really started during the Obama administration and that this was part, as far as I've always read, this was part of the compromise that uh, Barack Obama agreed to in order to get the Saudis on the side of backing the JCPOA. Yeah, that's but that's what I've gotten from everything I've ever read too. That if the Saudis wanted something in return, uh, Mohammed bin Salman is a bit of an oaf, and he thought this would be over in six weeks. You know, here we are eight years later. But I mean, come on! Once you're at that point, you know, every mercenary you send is like asking to go back to Africa, essentially, and, and nobody wants to be there. You know, even your own partners turn on you. The UAE turns on you. You turn on Qatar. You know, the Saudis have really gotten everything they wanted there, and they cannot pull it off. But again, the U.S. is they're willing to let as many people die as they have to to let their allies do this. And there was no way that Saudi Arabia was going to go with the JCPOA without some consolation. And look, what does it get you? I mean, they can always turn on you. They've done it before. You know, the OPEC and borrowed embargoes before and they, they're they about to do it again with russia you know and i think that you know i'm not taking biden's calls it's a curious thing uh for the united states that'll be the one part where people get mad is the oil prices right but yeah i, I think that this is a horrible trade-off because now what what we don't have a jcpoa and we still have a yemeni war eight years later you know and this is we have to appease the saudis we have to appease the saudis. we have to pretend they didn't kill jamal khashoggi you know it's, we'll overlook anything and yeah the whole defensive weapons that was like obama's idea of like, well, we're helping them strategically target and they hit a bottled water factory, you know, a water bottling facility and a farm. It's like, well, what are you targeting for them? They hit a bus full of kids, a school bus full of kids. That's who we target. Yeah, that's what we've targeted civilian infrastructure, literally just fields of food. You know, I mean, there's been no precision in that war. Everything is destroyed. There's been horrible cholera outbreaks, you know, uh, massive pandemics. You want to talk about a pandemic? They've been going on there for years. And starvation has obviously been a problem for most of the war. And boy, you can display the Azov battalion on, flag on your profile on Facebook, but don't try and put up the Houthi flag. Well, you know, another thing I think that, that has been blowback from this, and this is due to the recent, you know, uh, uh, goings on in the Ukraine conflict, and that is a, there are people, particularly in the Middle East and Africa and South America, who are looking at this, to be quite frank, from a perspective of, you know, okay, when we look in Europe and there are um, people, you, you, you know, you're saying, okay, people are being dying and injured, but they're Christians and they're white, et cetera, and that you, there's a total disregard for mu- Muslims and for brown people in that part of the world. And I think that's one, one of the reasons that, an, that the countries in Africa and the Middle East and South America, et cetera, have not been willing to go along with the U.S. empire on Ukraine. I mean, one of many, but in talking to people anecdotally, I hear that brought out by Muslims and people from the Middle East that they see that and they feel like that's unfair and it exposes something that they're very uncomfortable with, James. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, they're wise to think it because look at, yeah, Ukrainians are still Slavs, but 
they are wider than Muslims to, you know, the U.S. foreign policy establishment. And I think that seeing this happen and seeing a white ally essentially go down, even though you backed them, you know, you loaded the country with extremists, you've given them all these weapons, and it's turning out just like it did in Syria. So your allies are seeing you turn an allied nation into one of your nemesis, into what you did to one of your nemesis nations during, you know, the Arab Spring period. So if they see that going on and you're not even going to help Ukraine, how is anyone supposed to have any confidence in you? Whether it's, uh, what if Iran attacked Saudi Arabia tomorrow? You know, obviously a ridiculous hypothetical, but what if they did? Would we really step in? I don't think so, because I think we'd be worried about the cost to ourselves, and we just can't. We can't. With the volunteer military, we don't have the manpower to do it anymore. We cannot you know, stage any ground invasion. We can't roll into Ukraine, because I think it would be a disaster. I don't. And yeah, if we set up someone like this that we've been so close to, Biden is so intertwined with this country, if he lets them go, that's ridiculous. You know, these are his friends. They pay his son. So, yeah, I don't see why anyone would trust that we will back them up. You, I guess if you're in NATO and you get struck by a Russian missile, maybe we'll go to war. But even then, if you're small enough, I wouldn't hold your breath. And, and that's an important point, because most people think that Article 5 is a requirement for involvement, but it's not. It, it, it just means you can decide how you as a NATO member want to respond. You can send bombs or you can send bottles of water. Uh, it, it depends on, on, what you, on what you want to do. Uh, U.S. Representative uh, Pramila Jayapal and uh, Peter DeFazio of Oregon, they're seeking co-sponsors for the Yemen War Powers Resolution. It demands that Congress cut military support for the Saudi-UAE-led coalition's war against Yemen. And I'll take a little stronger point than Garland did at the outset. Joe Biden did commit to ending the war in Yemen and said that or part of his mechanism for doing so was only providing defensive weapons to the Saudis. Now, how you supply defensive weapons to the offensive country, I don't know. But I figured Joe Biden could explain that to us. Oh, I think we said at the time, you know, I mean, what is defensive, right? For this country, defensive is invading a nation like Iraq because you think they have weapons that you know you made up, you know. So defensive can mean anything to the United States. Defensive can be Reaper drones if it has to be while you're striking military facilities preemptively. You know, this is a trick we use all the time. And now we say Russia is doing it in Ukraine. We're suddenly offended. Yeah. And and the other thing is, it's just it, it, the bottom line was it's, it's clear that all we were looking at was some words to um, mislead the electorate, just something to placate the electorate, something, yeah, we're not going to send them defensive weapons or whatever, leave me alone. And because, and here's why I say that, because when I look at all of the promises that Joe Biden made, the only, as, as a candidate, the only one that he kept was when he told the rich people that nothing's going to fundamentally change. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten richer, I suppose. Their profits have gone up, but every promise has been dropped, uh, whether it's Climate change, the infrastructure, um, student debt forgiveness, you know, that was whittled down from 50,000 to 10 to 5 to nothing. Uh, even the Georgia election, it was, well, day one, you vote in the Georgia election, you send your money to Georgia, even if you don't live there, get Democrats elected, and day one, we're, we're going to cut you a check. And that took three months. 
you know? Nothing has come for this administration. And even then, the check was the change for the other check that Trump wanted to give us. And, and the check was cut in half. Yeah, there's been nothing. Well, it was, it was a couple grand short. Yeah, six, uh, 600, uh, it was 1400 They specifically said $2,000. And then afterwards, they said, uh, yeah, you already got six of it, but and we'll give you fourteen. Twenty eight. Uh, tw- technically got it, right? <laughs> you technically got it. Uh, twenty eight million in East Africa at risk of extreme hunger as Ukraine crisis reverberates uh, as the uh, Russian involvement in Ukraine diverts both food and attention from Africa. Oxfam International warned yesterday that up to twenty eight million people in the continent's eastern nations are at risk of famine uh, if a historic drought continues. This is this is another uh, just another example uh, of James of, of of how simple it would be for the United States to make the world better. Joe Biden can stop the war in Yemen in 15 minutes, and we can also, uh, on the humanitarian side of the equation, we can provide relief to 28 million people on the continent of Africa, but we don't have that vision. No, we don't want to. And, you know, even when we do provide relief, it's through what? NGOs, like the Gates Foundation, things like that. And you got a bunch of Mayor Pete's running around countries like Afghanistan, you know, ripping off a little bit of the money here for their friends and for whatever, you know, shady company they work for. Everything's contracted out and everything gets wasted. So even when we do send aid to a country, half the time it's CIA agents working for USAID. Um that's not our goal. You know, that's not our goal. And our goal is to try and make the world submit. That's what Ukraine's learning right now is, look, this is about Russia submitting. It's not about you. We're not going to do a no-fly zone. We're not going to come in and help you. The same for the Yemenis. It's like, yeah, this is tragic. Our presidents can even admit it's tragic on television, and they won't do anything because, no, that's not the mission. The mission is keep the global order in our favor, keep the Saudis happy so they keep pumping oil and sending it over here, keep trading it in dollars. It's keep everyone that we need happy even though it seems ridiculous because at this point more of the world does not like us than the half that does. And I think that, you know, you might stand a better chance by just coming at this as an equal partner in the world now, but the U.S. can't do it. We can't face the fact that this empire was not built to last you know, half as long as any other one, which is really pathetic, honestly. But I, I think we got lucky after World War II. We had this industrial boom where we kind of blew up the other industrial powers and for some reason, the U.S. thought that was going to roll forever, but it, as it slowly lost that from, say, Carter administration on, we've fueled these kinds of things all over, whether it's been, you know, the original war in Afghanistan against the Soviets to now in Ukraine. Here we are doing it again, hoping – who was it that said we want to turn Ukraine into Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. James Carey, as always, thank you so much for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. We look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you. Folks, you're listening to The Critical Hour on Radio Sputnik. I'm Wilmer Leon. I'm joined here by my co-host, Garland Nixon. There's more on the other side. Stay tuned. 